Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Our second passage for today is our gospel reading, and we've been in the book of Matthew for a while, and we are still there. Uh, We have a little bit less of a story today. It's more of a dialogue communication between the disciples and Christ. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit nervous because you know I like a good story. That's usually what I like to do in my sermons is tell you a story. Thanks to Barbara for talking about story this morning in uh, Sunday school. But today I'm going to offer you guys a lot of statistics. So you're going to have to stick with me and trust me um, that we've got good news in there, even when we're looking at quantitative data. So uh, to get us ready, we are turning to Scripture and we're looking at Jesus who has just healed and fed thousands, not for the first time, but for the second time in the book of Matthew. And now he's traveling on with his disciples into Caesarea Philippi, and he has a few questions for those who have been following him and witnessing his ministry for so many weeks. So hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. But from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I know what we need to unpack that passage is a lot of statistics and data. So here we go. But recently, I uh, subscribed to something called a substack. I didn't know what that was, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that there are many of you who might want introduction to the substack too. 
But the Substack is an email newsletter system where writers of any skill level can post their articles and blogs to be distributed to subscribers. Okay, so it's different than a social media platform where you read whatever your friends are interested in that show up on your feed, but this is a way that you can curate the content and that the authors can receive payment for what they've written. So folks can be paid for their published musings and you get to choose what it is that comes before your eyes or lands in your email inbox. And now the reason that I got on a Substack and, and subscribed is because of a man named Ryan Burge. He's a political science professor and an American Baptist pastor, and he has what is an amazing Substack called Graphs About Religion. Now, I know that is not a super amazing title, but trust me, his writing, his information is really informative. He looks at religion by looking at statistics and quantitative analysis. For example, he got at the question of what's going to happen in the future of Christianity in America by most recently tracking enrollment in seminaries across denominations to get some real concrete data. Now, the article that I've picked to talk about today in relationship to this passage is also informative for what we had going on with Sunday School and we have a lunch and learn after church. And in this article, he talked about the silver tsunami. Do you all know this term? Have you heard this before? Does it make you a little nervous? Um, this is about, it's a popular metaphor that talks about the aging of our current population in America. So the baby boomers, the oldest of which were born in the late 1940s, are entering their 70s, and in 10 to 15 years, almost all the boomers will be retired. So, the good, the good news is that many of you will look forward to retirement, um, but what the question of the silver tsunami is, is how do our social systems and our cultural mechanisms handle what is a really radical change in our population? So a lot of people are taking up this topic. And so Ryan Burge works on graphs and on faith. So his article is titled, Religion is for Older People, right? <laughs> it's not supposed to be a comedy, y'all. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to dive into these statistics. And like I said, I'm used to be more of a storyteller up here. So hang in with me. We're looking at some numbers. So to answer this question, is religion for older folks? He looks at what he was really excited about, which is recently released Census Bureau data about the average age of every county in the United States over the last three years, all right? So he looked at the share of each county in the U.S. that was at 65 years of age or older in 2020, and then that same share of the population two years later in each county in 2022. And here's what he found from that analysis. Here's what his comment is. Holy cow, we are an aging country. <laughs> 
But here it is in statistics. 93% of all counties in the United States, 93% have a larger share of retired people in 2022 than they did two years earlier. And this is just the tip of the wave. So to do his work on religion, he combines this population data uh, from the Census Bureau with information from the religion census, and he starts to try to understand what religion looks like in younger counties versus the older ones. Now, some interesting things rise to the top. Maybe some things that will confirm your suspicions or maybe some things that will change your mind. Well, the first thing we learn is that in both the oldest and the youngest counties and everywhere in between, the top three of the top 10 largest religious traditions are the same. And the percentages are pretty much the same. And they are, number one, the Catholic Church. Number two, non-denominational. Number three, Southern Baptist. So those are the top three of the top 10 religious traditions, whether you're in a younger county or you're in an older county and anywhere in between. But after that, for the other seven of the top 10, things really change when you look at the oldest counties versus the youngest counties. Now, it's probably not gonna surprise anyone, the older counties have more mainline traditions. That's what we consider ourselves in the PCUSA. PCUSA didn't make the list, but you have United Methodist. With, I didn't think this was going to be comedy. I love this. This is hilarious. Uh, United Methodist with 3%, and then you have several around 1%, including the Lutheran Church, the ELCA, Episcopal Church is in there. And then you have uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Lutheran Missouri Synod, and Assemblies of God. Those all take 1% of the population if you're looking at the top 10. Now, you may be interested to note that the PCUSA does show up in another graph, uh, another set of data, and this is looking at the mean age of religious traditions in the US. And the PCUSA shows up as one of the 10 oldest religious traditions in the United States with a mean age of 56.1. So there you have it. Now, the other piece of information that's very interesting is when you go ahead and look at the younger counties. As I mentioned, the top three are the same, Catholic, non-denominational, and Southern Baptist. But for the remaining, things really change. For example, the LDS Church, Mormons, they have a larger share in the younger counties. So in the older counties, they have a share of 1%. and the younger counties, it's 5%. So it surpasses the Methodists who drop down to 3% in the younger counties. There are also new groups that show up in the younger counties that claim that percentage point. Groups like Muslims. We also see more of the Assemblies of God. There are a lot more evangelicals in the youngest counties. And while there were three mainline churches in the oldest counties, it's just the one, Methodists, that show up in the younger counties. Now this tracks with what we see from another data set that's called the Cooperative Election Study. This shows that 
the 10 youngest religious traditions by mean age. And it actually shows that in the United States, the 10 youngest religious traditions of mean age, just one is Christian, is clearly Christian. Isn't this fascinating? For our younger folk, there are, we know this, a whole lot of nuns. So people who don't affiliate or affiliate as agnostic or atheists. But what we also see in that data set is that there are other religious groups that are not Christian. You have Orthodox Jews, Hindus, Muslims taking up more of the share when you look at younger religious traditions. All this is to say that Burge admits this. There's always this tension when he, American Baptist pastor, writes about religious growth or decline. He says, I think most people still think of religion in terms of Christianity and typically white Christianity. And there are, he says, still a ton of white Christians in America, and they will be the plurality of the country for decades to come. But the United States is becoming more racially and religiously diverse as each year passes. So sometimes when I give a talk and I say religion is growing in the United States, lots of nods of approval will come from the audience, and then I describe what I just laid out here. The growth is of Hispanic Catholics, Muslims, Orthodox Jews, and the faces turn a little bit. They want religion to grow in the United States, but only their kind of faith. Isn't that a challenge for us to hear? You know, it's challenging. It's challenging information to understand that we only have one slice of the religious pie graph, and it is on the decline. The good news for us today, it's not the first time that religion has been challenging. The disciples gather with Jesus, and he offers them a challenging question too. When Peter and the disciples are approached by Jesus, he asks them, who do the people say that I am? Now, the disciples, they throw up different names of various prophets. Uh, John the Baptist, Elijah's got a good look. How about Jeremiah? Peter even says the Messiah, the Christ, but he got the title right, but then he later in the verses we see gets the action of the Messiah wrong. So with these answers, the disciples are really trotting out these different versions of Jesus, a piece of the picture, a line in the total play, and they aren't totally wrong with their answers, but they don't have it all. Jesus is so much more. But what the disciples' answers, the variety of answers point to is the reality that we know that there are many different answers, that there are many different ways of following after God. Now, to modernize this scenario, we can say that there are a lot of claims on who Jesus is by churches, by congregations, by denominations, by scholars, by politicos. And Ryan Burge would encourage us, challenge us, that as things change in the religious landscape, and certainly for the PCUSA, 
we will see even more slices of who Jesus is, pictures of the divine. These different claims on who Jesus is, we can look at this passage and kind of get an idea. There's John the Baptist, that John the Baptist style Jesus, strong preacher, repentance is forefront, do the right kind of thing, give you the right way to live, and then condemn other lifestyle choices. You brood of vipers, I quote from John. There's that Jeremiah style of Jesus, who is the weeping prophet and privileges presence, is aware of the pain of the city and has compassion for God's people. The Elijah Jesus is that justice man fighting the prophets of Baal and Jezebel, pursuing what is right, declaring destruction is at hand. And you got Peter's version on today of Jesus the Christ who is a good teacher, a nice guy, who has some good things to say but won't ask for anything challenging, certainly wouldn't die, and most definitely wouldn't rise above on the third day. So with their slices of the pie, their variations of Jesus, the disciples say what we know. When Jesus asks, who do the people say I am, there are so many different ways to answer, so many ways of following Christ. But here's the thing, in the passage for today, and this is the real challenge, this is the real challenge. That's not the only question that Jesus poses here. Who do the people say that I am? Who does your denomination say that I am? What is the most popular picture of Jesus or the divine in the world right now? That's not the question that Jesus ends with here. After Jesus says, who do the people say that I am, Jesus then asks, who do you? Who do you say that I am? That question really cuts through the noise. That question asks for a story out of the statistics. It's a whole different question, and it asks us a whole lot more. Who do you say that I am? There's a Lutheran pastor named Eric Fissler, and he says this about talking to people of different places, of different faiths, of different positions on Jesus. He says, when I talk to people about God, church folk or non-church folks, and they begin to say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, or I believe in Jesus, but I don't think he's the son of God, I get in there and I say, it's not enough to say you believe in God or you don't believe in God. Tell me about the God you believe in, or tell me about the God you don't believe in. That's the interesting thing. How do we wrap our brains around who this Jesus is? How do we articulate being in the presence of God? How do we admit that we don't know everything about that very question? When Eric asks this, it's not that he's looking for a right answer. He's not looking for spouting doctrine. He's not trying to get out of people a creed or get them to come to his church. 
he's asking them for something a little more personal, that inward turn, that testimony to their time with Christ, to their understanding of God. And he says, most of the time, for the people who don't believe in Jesus, when they explain the Jesus they don't believe in, I don't believe in that Jesus either. And most of the time, the God they believe in, that they don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. And then, he says, we can begin to talk about the real thing. Recently, I was with a friend who is also a pastor, and this person gave a powerful witness to me of who Jesus was in their life. And this is someone who has every reason to not believe in God, who has been mistreated by the church both personally and because of identity. This is a person who has explored different faiths to try to see if they would fit better there. This is a person who has had really difficult things in their personal lives. The many of us would start shaking a fist at the sky. But this is also the person who said to me when we were talking about church, well, isn't that what church really is? We will all experience trauma, and it is the place where we go to be healed and to be held. To me, that's a particularly Christian witness, a path, a story, a gospel that takes up both suffering and hope, and that allows, that for, allows for that to happen in the world that God is present with us here. So the challenge for us today I will take up from my friend, and it is this. Our denominational slice of the pie is not the only part of the graph, and with the changing religious landscape, it will not be privileged much anymore. That picture of Jesus Christ that we know and love that maybe we didn't have to articulate so much in the past. But that's good that we only have a glimpse because there is so much more of the divine for us to learn, and we know that. We know that here. But it's also a challenge for us, too, because we may think that our witness doesn't matter or that who we say Christ is to us doesn't really mean anything, when in fact, it means even more, that we must learn to articulate more clearly, more unashamedly, more often, more openly, our answer to the question, who do you say that I am? To God be the glory, time without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, 
links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.